by doing conducting the research and investing in what we are, we will literally double and almost triple the amount of research on what works for children in crisis. And that we'll share with the world. I mean, what we did that works, what didn't. The more we can be effective in addressing this critical issue of reaching young children in crisis settings, you know, the more we all benefit. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Wise Words, the show where we talk to the world's leading minds in education and beyond. This is Basim Hijazi, producer of the show, and who you just heard is this episode's guest, Sherry Weston, president of Social Impact at Sesame Workshop, the organization behind Sesame Street and many other initiatives that you'll be learning more about in today's conversation. Sherry joins us to discuss how the organization has adapted to the new normal and how we can continue to build greater resilience in children. To those joining us for the first time or returning listeners, after listening to this episode, do let us know your thoughts by sending us a message on our social media channels. You can find all the links in the description for that. And don't forget to subscribe to Wise Words if you haven't done so already on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your preferred podcast app. Now let's switch to host and CEO of Wise, Stavros Yunuka, to kick off the show. It really is my great pleasure to introduce our guest for today, Sherry Weston. Uh, She's the president of Social Impact and Philanthropy for Sesame Workshop, which is the nonprofit educational organization behind the world-famous Sesame Street television program. Uh, Sherry leads the workshop's efforts to serve vulnerable children through mass media and targeted initiatives in the United States and around the world. Uh, She serves as Sesame Workshop's chief mission ambassador, raising awareness, developing strategic partnerships, and cultivating philanthropic support. Uh, Sherry led uh, Sesame's efforts to win a historic $100 million grant from the MacArthur Foundation to fund the largest early childhood intervention uh, in the history uh, of uh, humanitarian uh, relief work. Sherry was named a leading global thinker by Foreign Policy magazine and one of Fast Company's 100 most creative people uh, in business, and was also recognized with the Smithsonian's American Ingenuity Award. Uh, She's held leadership positions in uh, a number of fields, including media, the nonprofit world, and public service. Sherry, welcome to Wise Words. Thank you so much, Stavros. I'm just so flattered that I would be uh, qualified to be in Wise Words. So I'm hoping I can live up to the uh, to the name. <laughs> we're, we're we're flattered that you think uh, <laughs> that you think we're flattering you. <laughs> it's uh, it's really great to have you here. And of course, it, it was uh, just a year ago that you were here in Doha uh, attending Wise 2019. Uh, alongside, I think, one of your newest Muppets at the time, Basma. Absolutely, it was Basma. Yeah. That was yeah. that boy. Yeah. That seems like a lifetime ago, but it was such a special and, experience. Yeah, and and a world away, right? Sherry, maybe let's let's start a little bit. Look, I think our listeners are familiar with Sesame Street, the television program, but tell us a little bit about the organization behind uh, Sesame Street and why it's it's so much more than 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 the TV program. Uh, well, I would, I would be happy to, because I think you're right. Most people think of Sesame Street as the U.S. television show because it's been so um, 
iconic in many ways. But Sesame Workshop is actually the nonprofit organization that creates Sesame Street. And, we, you know, Sesame Street is about 51. Actually, yesterday was the 51st anniversary. So for over 50 years, Sesame Street has been reaching children with this iconic television show, not just in the U.S., but around the world. And it was created, you know, out of the 1960s. It was an experiment, an experiment to see if television could teach. But as important, it was could it reach children who have less advantages and help them arrive at school ready to learn. So we have um, soon after, you know, the U.S. ended up in in many other countries. It was it was a, a I actually love the story because the founder and creator of Sesame Street said she thought she was creating the iconic um, American television show. And within a year, Germany, Brazil, Mexico, all wanted their own versions. And that's what led to our adaptations of Sesame around the world. But um, Sesame Workshop, the organization, is actually now the largest informal educator in the world. And so we do create local versions of Sesame Street, but we also do so much more. We've had a long history of tackling really tough issues from the lens of a child. And so that has allowed us to take on issues like HIV and AIDS in South Africa, girls' education in Afghanistan, um, displaced children, refugees um, around the world, and create content that is designed specifically to meet their needs, um, address those issues, and look at those challenges from a child's perspective. So, so given all the world's going through right now, you, you can see that the need for Sesame Street in our work, I think, has never been greater. No, absolutely. And so it sounds like there's a lot of localization that goes into, into the, the content that you develop for, um, you know, for, these, for these particular um, special circumstances that you, you've described. What, tell us a little bit about how you, how you navigate you know, the, the complexities and, and the sensitivities around, you know, for example, a topic like HIV, how does the process work? Well, the process works because we do have this model and, and that is universal in the sense that what we created with Sesame Street was bringing together educators, researchers, and creatives all together to work together. And, and you know, we can't teach children if we can't engage them, which is why it is so important that the creatives are a part of this process. But everything we do is steeped and based in research, formative research to inform how we'll address issues, and then summative research to make sure we're having the intended impact. So when we go into a country, we often partner first with the Ministry of Education. Um, Mentioning South Africa and HIV and AIDS as, as an example, it was actually the Minister of Education. I remember his name was Kader Asmal, who was the first to say, if we don't address this, we're doing a huge disservice. And that led to the curriculum development around HIV and AIDS. So we bring in local experts. We bring in, we work with, partner with the local broadcasters, with the, again, local governments. And we first do research and learn. We start with advisories. We start with um, making sure we have people that um, are committed to this and have you know, similar mindsets in terms of focusing on early education. That's another distinction. Sesame has always focused on those critical early years when we believe we can have the greatest impact. And in fact, research today shows that really is where we can have the greatest impact in terms of the first five years of a child's life. So 
you you mentioned that there are going to be different cultural sensitivities. We want to make sure we're not just exporting the U.S. version of the show, but that we're learning, we're listening, we're empowering, and that this truly becomes a local adaptation. And then it's in those children's languages, reflecting their culture, even creating new Muppets who um, children there can identify with and with storylines they can relate to. And I think that's, you know, the real secret to our global success is that it at the actual local um, involvement and adaptation. I mean, children learn best. Children learn best when they see themselves on screen, and when they see positive portrayals. And there's so much we can do to model storylines. And and believe it or not, these characters become powerful role models, powerful little girl role models, modeling, you know, girls going to school and loving school, and and um, you know, problem solving together with boys. There's so many storylines and. Um, curricular goals that we're able to do through both our characters, our, our live action pieces, and our our curricular goals. And and of course, I mean, the, you know, having having said that, I mean, emphasizing the you know the, the importance of, of localization and the context that you know that there are certain universals. Um, right. And I think you know I think part of the genius of the program is actually the use of Muppets because Muppets are you know are relatable almost by definition. Right. I mean, they 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 don't have a race. OK, maybe they have a gender, but but even that is, you know, uh, sometimes uh, <laughs> debatable. Well, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that was another realization of uh, Joan Cooney when she said I, she thought it was the quintessential American show and suddenly everyone wanted it. But she also realized that, you know, if you're a little furry red monster, you know, Elmo has universal appeal. You know, Elmo is three years old. What what a child can identify with is he is like them. It isn't that, um, you know, he's, he's he's universal. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't create certain characters with attributes so that children specifically uh, recognize themselves. You know, we have an autistic Muppet named Julia. Um, you know, in, in our work in, in the Middle East, Ahlan Simpson, um, two of the newer Muppets, Basma and Jod, uh, John, you met Bosma last year at the Doha um, at the Wise Forum, but Jod had to leave his home. I have to say of, of, of the yeah, exactly. But Jod, the storyline is Jod left his home and becomes best friend with Bosma. So when you think of a, a region like the Middle East and with the impact of the Syrian conflict, to model um, a child who's new to the neighborhood becoming best friends with another child is just an underlying storyline that also really resonates and allows us to. In, Include messages of inclusion and acceptance and understanding, and I think and I think another secret to success because it is so important that we engage parents as well. You know, those early years are so critical, um, but it's so important to to be a catalyst for engagement between parent and child. And so the appeal the Muppets have to adults as well. I saw you with Bosma. You were pretty smitten. You know, so um, that allows us to really create content that that encourages that critical adult-child relationship. And, and I will say, I do think it's another example of the prescience um, of our founders because it wasn't an accident. Um, Joan often said that she had a hunch the learning would be deeper if an adult were watching with a child, if a parent were watching. So they very deliberately included humor and celebrities and musicians and popular culture so that it would appeal on two levels. And and I think that's quite brilliant. No, that's, that's absolutely true. I mean, I I have to say of all the, 
you know, the, the, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a parent. Okay. My, my kids are now in their twenties, but you know, we, we watched a lot of children's programming, um, when, when they were kids and I, and I hand on heart will say that Sesame Street was not a chore for, you know, parents to, to watch. I, I, I won't tell you which ones were because it, 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 but, <laughs> well, I'm a parent uh, too, so I know which ones were, but <laughs> where, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's intelligent programming. Um, now have, having, you know, having said that, how have you navigated now, you know, this, this, this environment where we have so much sort of so much competing for kids attention, right. And, and especially in the, in the digital domain, um, You've stayed, I think, quite true to your television roots as 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 a program, but but have you been have you been branching out beyond that? And and you know how how do you assess the impact of of digital technologies, not just on your sort of your business model, for lack of a better word, but also on on just the early years development? Well, I, I, there are two points there, and I'll take them separately. I mean, one is how do we compete with with a very crowded um, children's media environment and all sorts of competition. And I'll be honest, you know, when Sesame Street was created, it was, you know, the first educational preschool program. Um, there weren't a lot of other choices. And when you look at some of the research, you know, there were more studies on the impact of Sesame than any other children's show, over a thousand. But one of the ones that decided most often was a longitudinal study that showed, I think it was University of Kansas, that showed that children who grew up watching Sesame Street performed like 16% higher, even in high school. You know, it it showed the value of educational media. But I don't believe you could do that study today because those growing up in the, the, you know, 70s, the 80s were able to watch Sesame every day, have a certain amount of, and now there's so much competition. Um, That doesn't mean that we still don't have the outcomes in terms of, Uh, educational outcomes from the content we create, but it means that I can't guarantee I can force a child to sit and watch if we're not engaging, if we're not relevant. So we have had to be very um, mindful of that. We can't just keep creating the same show we did 50 years ago. We're constantly testing with children. We're innovating to include animation to, you know, the show is now a half hour instead of an hour because that was just more realistic in the way children consume media. Um, And I think that you're right. The brilliance of our Muppets, we are still able to include humor, engage, um, be relevant in terms of the topics we're addressing, in terms of the popular culture and celebrities or or parodies we include, which is enormously um, helpful in maintaining our relevance. The second point you make about platforms and about media, you know, we are best known for television, but we're so much more than television today. We have to be wherever children are. Um, in many places, they're accessing Sesame content more often from YouTube than from a broadcast or from digital, from mobile phones. Um, and so we are on every platform, and I will say both high-tech and low-tech. You know, there are some developing countries where there's not going to be a smartphone, um, where we're using, you know, battery-powered Pico projectors in classrooms, or we're doing basic um, phone calls or radio. So, so it is... Every means possible, but it's also every platform. And and what we've had to do is we've had to switch our research too to make sure we're measuring the outcomes from different digital platforms, not just the broadcast. Um, and, And I actually think that almost creates a surround sound environment 
If you look at the work we're doing in the Middle East, Ahlan Simpson, which you know means welcome sesame in Arabic, you know, it is on television, broadcast, satellite, and terrestrial, and actually reaches millions of children that way in the region, but also on YouTube, also on mobile, also in refugee camps using, you know, WhatsApp. I mean, there are, again, we do um, research first, and it's also research on media penetration, on what platforms are most effective, on what children have access to, because it is not one size fits all. Can can you share some of the some of the findings from that research? I mean, what, well, we're what, doing. You know, I'll, I'll tell you right now. One of the things I'm most excited about is, um, well, you know, it's it's turning a crisis into an opportunity. But we are doing probably the most research on our um, humanitarian work. When we were fortunate enough to win the MacArthur Prize, which was a hundred million dollar grant to reach children who've been displaced in conflict from the Syrian response. We were then fortunate enough to have a, a grant from the Lego Foundation, um, equally audacious to, to deepen this work, learning through play, and to expand to the Rohingya crisis in Bangladesh. But out of each of those grants, $15 million went to research. Um, our partner is NYU Global Ties. And the reason I mention this is because there's a dearth of research on what's most effective for children in crisis settings. And so by doing, conducting the research and investing in what we are, we will literally double and almost triple the amount of research on what works for children in crisis. And that we'll share with the world. I mean, what we did that works, what didn't. What we, you know, we do that in order to iterate and learn and keep adjusting our work, but also we want others to learn from that. So whether it's Sesame or someone else, the more we can be effective, in, in addressing this critical issue of reaching young children in crisis settings, you know, the more we all benefit. So the point I was going to make, I'm sorry, I'm, you know, want to give the background is that now that we've had to pivot, you know, many of those direct services, home visitations, um, learning centers that were all part of this project on Huntsons and have had to be postponed or interrupted because of the pandemic. So as we've had to innovate and look at ways to still reach those parents who desperately need learning opportunities for their children when they can't be in school or in a learning center, we're using every means possible from mobile to WhatsApp to um, literally bots in Latin America and, and switching the research to start measuring how effective are those, how effective are those outcomes. And we're in the process of that right now, and I hope to have findings very soon. And the reason I think that's so important is it's not ideal. We'd rather be in person. But if it's effective, that could be something post-crisis that we we augment or we add on or we do in addition to. And I hate to say it, but I think even when this pandemic is behind us, we're going to need to learn from it and we're going to need to be able to reach children in crisis in the future when we may not be able to be there in person. Absolutely. And, and in any event, I mean, I think there is, in, in some ways, and I think Her her Highness um, Sheikh Hamoza has made this point on, on a number of occasions that, you know, there was a sort of education crisis prior to, to the pandemic. And, and, and we know that there is a, you know, there is a, a dearth of, of uh, qualified teachers. You know, there's a dearth of, of, of uh, you know, quality, quality material. So I think I think this you know the, the work that you're doing is going to have 
um, utility beyond the specifics of of education under under sort of crisis conditions. So yeah, no, I I I believe so. I hope so. I I I so agree. I mean, you know, it's not like there weren't challenges before, and I think one of the the you know the hardest things about the pandemic is it's as in all crises, it affects the ones who were the most vulnerable to begin with. Um, those inequities. I mean, I. I, I think about how often in the beginning we, you know, so many times when the when COVID we were first talking about it, people would say, "Oh, it doesn't discriminate; anyone can get COVID." You know, no, it does discriminate because yes, anyone can get it. But let's be honest: who is the most um, impacted? It's it's those who were already the most vulnerable. You know, those in crisis, those displaced, those with disabilities, those girls. I mean, there it it has exasperated what we already, you know, knew were challenges. Tell me a little bit about the, uh, you know, I mean, you, you've mentioned the, the specific project in, in Syria and how, how you adapted to, uh, to, to, the, to the COVID um, situation. What, what else has, has uh, Sesame been doing to sort of um, itself adapt and help others adapt to, uh, to the pandemic? Well, I have to say, like everyone, when this hit, we, we had to pivot. But I'm so proud of this organization because, um, you know, we were talking before we started that, you know, when you say, how are you, everybody, like, it's relative. But, you know, it's been a, it's been a hell of a year. We, but, but to wake up every day and have the opportunity to be working for an organization that is trying to help is so rewarding. And from the moment this happened, you know, obviously, as a media um, content um, organization and production, we had to pivot, obviously, in production. We couldn't be in studio. We couldn't have Muppet performers together. We couldn't, you know, so we had to pivot pretty quickly in terms of how we were still producing. You know, you had, we were shipping Muppet costumes to our Muppeteers' homes. They were, um, lear- you know, learning to do a screen in their own home and everything was virtual. We did the entire new season and specials on from Ahlan Simpson, not in the studio in Jordan, in Amman, but but remotely. And they look like we do, you know, with Muppet playdates in corners. Um, so we had to be innovative and pivot in our production, but we also had to immediately look at what content is needed. Because again, we have a long history of looking at what are the most pressing issues facing children and how do we respond? So we started creating new content that was specifically designed first and foremost around wash and washing hands and hygiene and those important health messages. Um, We ended up creating new content that is almost in a hundred countries at this point, you know, in terms of um, uh, reaching children with those important messages in 39 languages. Then we started creating content that were specials. Um, One in the U S was play date with Elmo. And, and I've, Again, it helped children see that even Elmo and Cookie and others have to have Zoom playdates. It, it looks like me now. Um, and it was modeling also for parents ways to create playful learning at home, knowing they had to, to do that. We're not in schools. 1.6 billion children out of school, you know, the largest disruption to education in history. And so the need for educational media for Sesame Street was greater than ever. Um, we also worked to create content that was about addressing the social and emotional needs of children. I mean, this is a traumatic 
experience. And that's something we do really well. We look at it through the lens of a child. So we're continuing to create resources because the, the new normal keeps changing. And the challenges children are facing, whether it's um, missing a friend, whether it's worrying about a, a family member who's sick, um, whether it's about remote learning and not being able to be in school. And so we are constantly creating a body of work that addresses those issues from the lens of a child and also creating tools for parents and caregivers to have routines and opportunities to create more learning moments at home. You know, and those caregivers are so important. I mean, it's so stressful on them too, but we, if we can give, um, you know, resources and opportunities to be more helpful in that, um, in this, in this really challenging time, that's a, that's a really powerful role for us to play. Um, we even, we were very fortunate because the Lego foundation, um, was very generous and gave us, uh, more, um, funding to create more specials. And one is called Elmo's World News, where which which is now in almost 50 countries in 13 different languages. But again, it's specifically designed to help model for parents playful learning opportunities, um, engage the child and the parent together. And when you were asking about research before, some of the research recently on Alhan Simpson has been so encouraging because it's shown us that it has helped children identify emotions you can't manage emotions if you don't identify them, increase their vocabulary to that end, and has been a catalyst to increase engagement um, and conversation between parent and child, which is huge. So, you know, I mean, it, it's interesting because Sesame, I think, was one of the first um, organizations to really elevate um, social emotional learning, you know, alongside, um, you know, cognitive uh, uh, skills. Um, why do you think it's it's taking so long to for, for this kind of learning to penetrate beyond the? I mean, I think you know the the early year space. I think recognizes the importance of this. And I think if you walk into early learning centers and, and kindergartens anywhere in the world, you will get some of these elements, you know, um, in play. But why do we? Why do we stop after the early years? Why don't we carry carry this through into into um, K to twelve? Well, listen, I, you are absolutely right. I mean, the the mission of Sesame Workshop is to help children everywhere grow smarter, stronger, and kinder. And that sounds like a clever tagline, but it's actually you know, baked into everything we do. It's the cognitive, you know, you think of Sesame as literacy and numeracy. Yes. But it's also stronger in terms of resilience and health and kinder in terms of empathy and understanding acceptance of differences. So, so there has always been um, what's called a whole child curriculum because we knew it's not just your literacy and numeracy skills. It's the social emotional skills that are most important in a child arriving at school ready to learn. And um, so I think we've been a very, very effective in that, in that area. To your point, um, I think there hasn't always been the, the understanding of that is as important. I mean, even in the, the early years, one of the things that I find very rewarding when I'm in a refugee camp or in um, with, with um, children and parents and, in, in, you know, more developing places around the world that our work is helping to enlighten a parent 
as to why that engagement and that play is so important for a child's brain development. I mean, I see fathers who didn't understand that, who didn't think play was important or engagement with the child was important because the mother would do that. And when they see the information about brain development, about how a child, those first five years of life, that engagement with the adult, that play is more important to their healthy brain development than anything else. And so I do feel like um, there's a greater appreciation. There's still a huge need for for um, more to understand that. And I do think there's more appreciation of mindfulness, the importance of, of social emotional health or health for, for children and adults. Um, I certainly have learned more about that myself in, in recent years. Um, so I do think that there is increasing awareness, but it's part of our job in terms of advocacy to raise that issue. And again, we focus, we tend to focus on the early years in, in our international work. It's more like zero to eight, but those early years in terms of the return on investment, if we can reach children uh, at that point, puts them on a better trajectory, even through K through 12 um, to have that basis. When I talk about how we always start with local experts and making sure we're listening and learning before we create any curriculum. You know, when we created Ahlan Simpson, which is, again, the Arabic production, and we worked with local educators and and child um, development experts in Jordan and Lebanon and Iraq, it was so clear that the most important thing, not just for Syrian uh, displaced children, but for the children of Lebanon, Jordan, Iraq, was social emotional learning, but they needed the emotional building blocks. We literally called the curriculum the emotional ABCs because children have experienced so much trauma in, in conflict and displacement that if they don't have the, um, the ability to understand emotions, um, identify emotions, they can't regulate emotions. And that really debilitates their ability to learn if they don't have that foundation. And so research has shown, and when I mentioned the research saying they're better able to identify, better able to um, manage and and, and um, carry on those conversations with adults about these, that really is a very significant um, gain in terms of putting them on the right trajectory. No, absolutely. And, and I, you know, I, I think that foundation is is absolutely critical. I'm just, you know, I, I just, in preparation for this um, podcast, found myself just, you know, reflecting on on why we, you know, we, we seem unable to carry some of these learnings, especially on the social emotional front, um, you know, throughout um, the educational experience, and and then even into honestly adulthood. Um, and I just, I did, I did sort of catch myself wondering, well, you know, m- maybe you know, be a little less um, fractious, um, you know, if, if, we, if we could rediscover some of those lessons from, you know, from, from childhood, uh, you know, learning to share, you know, play together. No, I love that you say that. I remember when, when President Obama was first elected to the United States, and, you know, interestingly enough, he was the first president young enough to have grown up on Sesame Street. We, we called him our first Sesame president. But I'll never forget, very early on, he said a lot of uh, adults could learn from going back and watching Sesame Street, the lessons of, you know, of hope and inclusion and acceptance and, and, and mindfulness, you know. Yeah, well, we, we, we said we wouldn't talk about... Um, no, I know. We're not... I was not, that, was not a politi- that was not a political statement. No, 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 I was just... Reminded me of a... Yes. 
<laughs> no, I was I, I was only saying it to preface my own remark to say, well, maybe we should, you know, sit sit uh, world leaders down and have them watch. Uh, <laughs> well, listen, no, no, Stavros, you you say that, but I actually, you know, some of the the outcomes that I have found the most heartwarming and rewarding has been research on parents attitudes changing because of Sesame Street. And and the example I often cite is in Afghanistan, where girls' education is a huge curricular goal. And so the lead Muppet is a little girl named Zari. She wears her headscarf, her school uniform. She's proud to go to school. And But it's not just for little girls to inspire them. It's to show little boys that it's it's okay for girls to go to school and to have different roles and responsibility. And so we, because it's part of the curricular goal, we test on those outcomes and attitudes. And it not only shows that little boys who watch test 29% higher on attitudes of gender equity, but that fathers um, in the focus group said again and again that they changed their mind about permitting their daughter to go to school because of watching Bache Simpson. That's that's the production. And in that country, most about 77, 78% of our audience is watching with a parent. So if you think about these little Muppets in a non-threatening way to influence a, um, an adult's attitude or point of view is pretty powerful. Yeah. No, that's that's a that's a uh, it is a heartwarming um, story. Sherry, tell me a little bit or tell us a little bit about um you know what? What a you know what's next for for Sesame? What? How do you you know how do you envision? Obviously, you have this um, big big project that you've undertaken together with with uh, you know with support from MacArthur and Lego. What, what's next? Well, you know what's next is to continue to be as responsive as we can to what are the pressing issues. So, um, you mentioned the the humanitarian work where we created content to reach the youngest impacted by um, conflict and displacement with our MacArthur grant, and now broadening that to Bangladesh, to the Rohingya crisis. But one of the things that we are most excited about is this is allowing us to create content in Bangladesh with an eye towards leveraging it for other um, areas. So it's not, it will, there will certainly be the local um, uh, cultural um, influences. We have two new Muppets that I'm so excited about that were based on research. The last trip I took before the lockdown, I was in Cox's Bazaar in Bangladesh and testing um, Muppets for these two characters that are Rohingya children. But we are now looking at all of the content we're creating there with more of a global lens, more animation, more, there will certainly be that which is really locally resonant, but using that investment to be creating a model that can be more easily and quickly adapted, whether it's East Africa, whether it's Latin America. So we are committed to expanding this work, again, not just through ourselves, but to be able to share and and um, be a catalyst for others to invest in early education in crisis settings. But I believe that we have a huge opportunity to adapt and share and go beyond our two projects so that it can be reaching children in crisis wherever they are. Um, That is a given, that's ongoing. But the pandemic and the challenges around racial injustice, again, just speak to the fact that we are always responding to what is most pressing. So, you know, that pivot to start creating content around COVID 
was a natural thing and a necessary thing. We're now creating more content around racial justice and around um, helping young children understand, which which is something we've always stood for. It's always been a part of a D- our DNA. But I was in an advisory in Bangladesh yesterday, you know, virtually addressing some of the same issues. So I believe it only speaks to the power of Sesame to remain relevant, to respond to the greatest needs addressing and affecting children. And I think that's what we will continue to do, whether it's COVID, whether it's race. Um, you know, climate is another issue that I want to do more on, but, but you know, we have to pace ourselves a little. But, but I think it just speaks to the need and power for our model. And, um, and I feel so committed that, that the, the need has never been greater. No, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And, and if there's another uh, area that I would um, add to your list, it would be, yes, climate, and, but also around, I don't know, civic engagement. I don't know if, they're, if it's ever too young to, you know, to, um, if kids are ever too young to start understanding, you know, I guess, responsibility to one's community. And- no, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, Stavros, actually, Actually, that even, you know, we started doing more work around climate and, and the pandemic kind of, when I say we pivoted, we had to pause on certain things to, to really focus all our energy on. But um, in the advisories we've started to do around climate to learn, you know, what, what would be, where could, it, where could Sesame have the most impact? And it varies depending on a developing country, whether you're teaching environmental literacy, uh, conservation, like, or, or in a... Um, I mean, sorry, a developed country versus a developing country where it's about about emergency preparedness or impact. You know, we really have to look at how you would approach in different regions. But civic engagement is a big part of it. It's it's helping children understand that they can play a part, that they can be stewards, that they can um, um, be a part of the solution. So civic engagement is actually a critical part of that curriculum. You know, empowering children, we have to, to feel like they can address these challenging issues. Uh, let, let me ask you, Sherry, now to, in a sense, take off your, your uh, sesame hat and just, um, I'd love to get your views on, on where you see um, education going sort of post, post-crisis. I mean, what, what, what do you think has been or will have been the, you know, the, the lasting impact of, of COVID? on on our education systems and where are we headed do you think in the next sort of five or so years you know i'll start with a concern but i want to end always being more optimistic but i mean one of the concerns i have we talked about how um covid just exasperated existing vulnerabilities and inequities um and that and set us back in a number of ways. I mean, I, girls' education is something Sesame does, and I personally have a. I'm very passionate about. And um, you know, when you think of the progress we've made over the years, I think in the last decade there are 80 million more girls in school. You know, through many efforts, and um, I do worry about girls being one of the um, fallouts from COVID because if you look at East Africa, the Ebola crisis, and the number even after schools opened how many girls didn't go back to school once the school is closed, whether it's through because of child marriage or teenage pregnancy or being forced to, you know, be in 
working often girls don't go back. I think the um, Malala Foundation did a recent study that that took that data and said if you if you extrapolate it, it could be as many as 20 million girls who never return to school even when schools start opening. So that is a concern I have in terms of um, post-COVID. But on a more optimistic note, I will say it's hard to um, avoid thinking about education now. You know, in countries that are that are wealthy countries to countries that struggle from the developed to the developing education has to be part of recovery. And, and so that has become more on the front burner. And, you know, again, as I mentioned, the largest disruption to education in the history of the world has meant that every country has had to start to focus on how do we provide education. Um, many of the lower income countries, it is television and radio, and we've played a huge role working with um, uh, ministries and providing more content, you know, in places where we've never been. Um, two, I think there is a much higher understanding of the need for distance learning and to try to minimize the divide. In sub-Saharan Africa, how many children have absolutely no access to online learning, to to computers, to, you know, and someone at the World Bank um, recently said they thought that was going to be a priority over the next 10 years, and now that forces a sense of urgency of being more of a priority of five years. So I, I do hope that it has made everyone realize if we're going to recover better, if we're going to build back better, if we're going to learn from this crisis to be more prepared for the next. We all know even after the pandemic, there will be future crises. And and I believe that education is top of mind in that. And I, and that gives me, um, you know, some reason to be cautiously optimistic. I, you know, I, I think that when, again, when we talked about COVID, especially at the outset, you don't think of a child as the face of COVID because they were less susceptible to the disease. You know, it's just not. But when you think of the long-term impact of the pandemic, it, to me, it's children and education. No, and, and I, I mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree agree with that. And I've, I've argued um, in, in a couple of articles that, that we put out at WISE that actually when we think about um, kids and the role that they, uh, they have played during the COVID uh, crisis, we ought to think of it as, as a sacrifice. I mean, as you said, they, they were not at risk. I mean, but they're paying the biggest price. Yeah. But they're paying the biggest price to keep, you know, to keep their parents and grandparents safe and their community safe. So I, I've argued that we ought to think of, of something akin to the, you know, the, the GI bill that you had in the States after the to say, okay, what are we going to do to help these kids uh, make up the ground that they have lost? Because they, w- they will be learning loss. And I, and I don't know if you're aware of any studies that, you know, that, that are looking at this, but I'm, I'm convinced that there will be learning loss and it, it's not going to be insignificant. So we have to think about, you know, remediation and, and helping these kids um, get, regain the ground they've lost. So I, I couldn't agree more. And I do think that my hope is, you know, and again, we've worked really hard over the last few years and continue to, to raise awareness of the importance of investing in early education that we, 
you know, for any child, but particularly for children in crisis, how critical that is. Um, and I do hope that as we focus more on education, that the role of the parent or caregiver is more, um, more, more of an understanding of the importance of including that parental engagement. Um, and I think that this pandemic and the need for parents to figure out how to provide those um, learning opportunities when school couldn't just take care of that will help us keep the parent and the youngest child in mind as we look for future solutions. Sherry, it's been uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to, uh, to to have you on Wise Words and and, and to sort of see you again. Thank you um, to our audience as well for for tuning in. Don't forget to check out all the links that we have in the chat and that uh, we've uh, shared with you today. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like this post on Facebook and to subscribe to Wise Words. Uh, on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. Uh, We will be back uh, in the coming weeks, uh, a few more episodes. Once again, Sherry, thank you for your wise words. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. It was such an honor, and I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you, Stavros.